This podcast is from the team at Healthcare IT Leaders, a national leader in IT consulting and workforce solutions serving top U.S. hospital systems. You can support our show by leaving a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening. Now here's our latest episode. What are the components of leadership? What makes a good leader? How do you develop yourself uh, as, as a leader? Uh, and what I learned uh, across that uh, was some, some very interesting skills. Uh, one, of, one set of skills had to be uh, very internal. Uh, know yourself. Know who you are, how you feel, what's going on, you know, the emotional intelligence basically of self-awareness and to be self-aware in the business environment, to be self-aware with your teams. From healthcare IT leaders, you're listening to Leader to Leader with Ben Hillmas. On today's episode, our guest is former Chief Operating Officer at Optum Insight, Doug Hires. Doug is an elite advisor with healthcare IT leaders and a revenue cycle management expert who has held senior leadership roles with payer, provider, and consulting organizations over 30 plus years in healthcare. Welcome to the show, Doug. It's great to have you uh, actually on our very first podcast, Leader to Leader. So welcome to the show. It's been great getting to know you here in the past several weeks as you uh, became part of our lead advisor program here at Healthcare IT Leaders and couldn't think of somebody better for a program like that, given your extensive career. Very, very impressive. And and so why don't we just start um, with a little bit of dialogue around where you most recently came from. So uh, many, many, many years in in the industry, ultimately left as the chief operating officer at Optum Insight, where you were responsible for overall operations and performance for a two plus billion dollar P&L and, and more than 10,000 employees. So um, if you can give us some perspective and background on that, I'd love to hear it. Sure. Thanks so much, Ben. Uh, it's really great to be here. I uh, appreciate the opportunity uh, and really excited uh, to talk with you today uh, about revenue cycle in the industry uh, and, uh, and healthcare industry and leadership in general uh, as well. Uh, yes, you're correct. Uh, was the chief operating officer for a division uh, within Optum Insight. Uh, which is part of United Health Group, uh, the parent company, Optum and United Healthcare, the two major flagship divisions. Uh, Optum Insight is one of three divisions of the $200 billion Optum. Uh, it's the smallest one. It's around $15 billion or so. Uh, but it's the managed services and the technology arm of Optum. Uh, and uh, in my role, uh, as you mentioned, I was responsible for all of our operations relative to the provider clients that we served uh, within Optum, uh, provider defined as hospitals, hospital systems, medical groups, medical practices, laboratory, and so forth, uh, both clinical and financial services that we delivered, as well as responsible for all the technology that we developed uh, as Optum, Optum branded technology uh, and its implementation, and then its ongoing uh, maintenance and service and operation. So it was a large team, uh, was a wonderful team uh, that I was fortunate enough to, uh, to be the leader over that actually spanned the entire globe. Uh, and that, uh, you know, largely operations in the U.S., but also uh, in several com- uh, countries uh, outside of the U.S. as well. Wow. Um, that's a 
extensive uh, extensive career covering the globe's a, a big space, and in, you know I know you still stay very active um, talking to people in the industry, revenue cycle leaders, and yeah, you know, I'd love for you to share with the group what are, what are you hearing? I mean, when when you think about their challenges, what they're faced with, the you know the the topics that are coming up in your conversation as you're helping people think through strategies to meet today's demands and tomorrow's demands, what, what, what is, what is going on in those conversations? Well, there's quite a bit, uh, interestingly, that's, that's going on. Uh, I think over time and what we've seen certainly pre pandemic to post pandemic, uh, the revenue cycle in general uh, for organizations has become much more clear and in focus as one of the strategic imperatives uh, for business performance. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's certainly generating revenue, it's collecting cash, uh, and uh, never before has it been more challenging uh, for organizations to successfully navigate uh, the complex healthcare reimbursement system that we have in the U.S., uh, and at the same time more critical uh, in terms of feeding the lifeblood of every organization, whether it's a, you know, 50 doc physician practice or whether it's a, uh, you know, 200 hospital health system, uh, it's clear that uh, financial performance uh, has been under tremendous stress. You've got inflation in the economy. Uh, you've got challenges with workforces. Uh, and uh, how do we do it better? How do we do it faster? How do we do it with more effectiveness has been the, the topics that we discuss. Uh, technology always falls into uh, the conversation and it has to. Uh, we can't just continue loading people into this operating model in order to effectively change the outcomes. It requires more advanced technology, certainly robotics, uh, RPA, as it's been referred to, uh, as, uh, you know, kind of developed over the last few years. But now really in the, in the essence of where do we take technology even further, it's around artificial intelligence, it's around machine learning, it's around how do we get into a more predictive mode of operating the business rather than just reacting to things and trying to do cycles faster. So there's a lot, uh, lot involved in terms of performance, accuracy, uh, also really dealing with the patient experience. Uh, the patient experience has become central. There's certainly uh, a number of governmental acts that have taken place, um, such as the No Surprise Act, uh, and uh, that was uh, a revenue cycle challenge to implement uh, a year ago, January. Uh, there are a number of things that bring the patient to the center. And that's important because the patient responsibility has almost tripled over the last four years. Uh, from what it has been with high deductibles, um, more, more balance after insurance, uh, payments that have to be made. And patient debt now, uh, you know, is a significant amount of the bad debt, uh, uh, that hits the, the bottom line, hits the ledgers of these organizations. So how do we improve that? How do we give them a better experience, but also increase and improve collections? A lot of important topics there and, and, now I'd like to pivot a little bit where you started, which is around the pandemic and the impact that that has had, not just on RevCycle management, but the entire industry. 
and we started to see this distributed remote workforce. And you talked about it earlier that, uh, you know, the historical strategy is just to throw more people at it. Well, one, we don't have more people to throw at it, given the workforce challenges. We're now looking at ways to leverage technology and deliver against the overall objectives uh, of the organization in a different way. And that's pushed people to think differently about RevCycle management. And we're starting to see this emergence of outsourcing. So there are a number of companies like Optum, uh, like Huron, like R1, like Ensemble, uh, really see significant growth in the RevCycle management outsourcing space. I'm curious to see what your, your perspective is and what you're hearing when you talk to healthcare leaders, not just in the U.S., but around the world, uh, about how they are thinking uh, and inquiring about considering an outsourcing option for RevCycle management. Yeah, well, absolutely. So that's a that's a broad set of topics uh, as well that that you brought uh, forward. You know, the 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 pandemic um, has obviously, you know, from a global perspective, and certainly here in the U.S. Uh, been the most disruptive thing that we've seen in this century uh, and in even into the, the last century, all the way back to the Spanish flu, I guess. Uh, so, so really impactful <clears throat> in terms of business, in terms of people, lifestyles, uh, things that have taken place. Healthcare got hit very hard uh, because we had to keep the doors open. I mean, it wasn't, you know, you know, the unfortunate circumstance of a retail store being closed or a restaurant being closed. Uh, we had to serve sick patients uh, throughout that entire uh, experience. Uh, and it was an exceptional burden uh, on organizations and on workers and staff, the frontline staff. So whether it's clinical staff, physicians and nurses uh, or the revenue cycle teams, you know, doing patient access doing the patient facing components, um, there was a lot of strain. Uh, and subsequently, um, while we could move a lot and we did, and in fact, at Optum, um, I, my team was able to move our workforce to offsite work at home, um, literally thousands and thousands of people within a couple of weeks. It was a, a huge mental change in terms of being in that more isolated work environment. And I think we're still struggling with that a little bit today. Uh, the other piece has just been, um, again, as you mentioned, the, the talent pool uh, has gotten smaller. Uh, folks who've changed careers, changed um, you know where they wanted to be. Uh, and in many cases, uh, the healthcare industry has actually suffered uh, in, in terms of lack of talent availability. So how do you address it? How do you fix that? Um, well, in many ways, again, it goes back to tech and technology and capabilities. What can we replace that were human functions before uh, that we can now basically supplement uh, with certain technology capabilities? The other thing, uh, as it goes back to patient and patient experience, is how much more self-service can we introduce into the technology spectrum, into that digital experience that we want to continually expand uh, in the healthcare settings to allow folks to interact with us um, digitally and through tech uh, without necessarily having to have an operator on the phone, without waiting and waiting and waiting to try and get an appointment because they're trying to get an answer or a callback or something. So call centers have shifted 
in terms of how their IVR systems work and how their digital platforms uh, engage with patients. Health systems leaders are thinking about that all the time. How do I improve it? And how do I address consumerism uh, in, a, in a stronger way? Uh, so I think that's part of, uh, of what uh, happens. I mentioned artificial intelligence um, and machine learning and some advanced technology capabilities. We're on the beginning of that when it comes to RevCycle, uh, but it's available and it's going to be developed uh, by a number of organizations. Um, you mentioned outsourcing, and outsourcing, of course, has been around for decades uh, when in various ways, whether it's IT outsourcing, revenue cycle, supply chain, uh, and certainly in healthcare, you know, food services, uh, you know, housekeeping. There's a number of outsourced capabilities that typically organizations make their strategic decisions around. But when it comes to RCM, uh, RevCycle in particular, uh, it can help organizations address labor shortages. Absolutely, because you can go with a company that uh, has a pool or has the ability to staff up and ramp up far better. Uh, and sometimes that workforce doesn't come from down the street. It may be across the country in a different state, or it may be even in a different country. And uh, while that has always been probably a political struggle for many organizations, uh, you know, commitment to their local community. What, what am I doing if I end up with workers that are outside that community, whether it's onshore or offshore, uh, has been a challenge. But they found that there has to be a balance because of the deficit, um, especially rural uh, health systems and, and rural uh, medical groups. They're just kind of isolated in terms of access. And so uh, in those cases, uh, using a partner, a strategic partner, that can bring expertise, that can bring technology uh, uh, to the, as, as well as a workforce, because it is people, process, and tech uh, that provides the better performance, uh, becomes something to consider. And many organizations uh, now, post-pandemic, are much more open to uh, considering a partner. So, looking at all that's, you know, coming to the forefront in RevCycle management, whether it's automation or um, outsourcing a uh, tremendous amount of technology and jesting that's going on. Providers that I talk to, the space I used to live in, the providers you talk to, I know they, they're all hyper-focused on overall spend, um, the whole cost to collect and et cetera. Do love to hear your perspective and do you believe that with the ingestion of different operating models, different technologies, et cetera, do we really have a shot at bending the cost curve here? And is that something that, you know, we, we look, you know, can literally not look at our shoes when asked and, and be able to boldly say, we believe that there is an opportunity here to, to help organizations achieve efficiency, achieve better outcomes and ultimately bend that cost curve. Yeah. Well, the, yes, the cost curve uh, continues to be a challenge uh, and and internal cost for the operations of RevCycle. Let's talk about that specifically rather than the overall cost of healthcare uh, in the United States, which is an even broader topic. But from a RevCycle perspective, is exactly cost to collect. How much effort and energy and dollars do I need to spend in order to get the dollars that I deserve that I've built for 
um, effectively and accurately and within compliance uh, to maximize my reimbursement. And again, uh, different organizations are more mature uh, in that. Uh, in some cases, um, with larger assets, larger health systems can really focus their, their internal capabilities to improve on that. And you can take cost out uh, in that. Uh, looking for repetitive issues, and repetitive processes, and repetitive problems tends to be one of the, the focal points. Um, you know, for instance, uh, denial management, you know, clinical denials continue to accelerate. There's a lot of noise in the payer and provider friction world uh, out there today, more than ever. And how do you how do you get to avoidance? How do you get to denial avoidance? And what are the techniques that you do? Because the cost of running in circles around that claim that ultimately does get paid is the cost that needs to be reduced uh, most significantly. It's not just about whether or not your collection folks are staying on top of the queue. It's how do we change the cycle that's going on? And that, that cost to collect also extends accounts receivable. You know, many organizations have seen their AR days jump from 40 or 45 days to 55 to 65 days now, simply based on the pay cycles that they're going through and this friction between the payers uh, that they have uh, in their network and, and the patients that they serve. So if we can collapse that, we can collapse the cost. And that's interestingly enough, that's a cost savings that's not just available to providers. It's a cost for payers as well. And so where do we, where do we go to really try and push this relationship? And how do we help our providers push the relationship with their payers, with their central payers to collaborate on reducing those efforts? Because it, both sides win in that regard. And ultimately, uh, while payers are trying to pay less out and providers are trying to collect the most they can collect, there is some middle ground there where both can work together. Yeah, I think oh, you mentioned payers and, and you know, I think they're in many times get left out of uh, a number of conversations when I'm talking to providers about rev cycle management strategies. But those that are kind of on leading edge are driving to how do I collaborate better? How do I even jointly produce uh, different solutions directly with my my payers? We were working on a number of those strategies uh, when I was out west, and I'm just curious: are are you seeing a growing and emerging? Is there a tipping point coming where you start to see better collaboration across the payer provider world? Yeah, I think that's a, a great way to phrase it: a tipping point coming, and I believe that is true. Um, you know, one of the things that's central to this is is data, uh, and when and being able to capture and analyze, provide the analytics into that data, and to be able to demonstrate both sides, to be able to demonstrate to each other what the data is showing around the operational um, issues, the clinical issues, uh, the clinical procedure issues, uh, the contractual issues, all of those complexities in the relationship fundamentally come down to being able to show where the problems are and defend it with data. And both sides are getting much better at that. And that, I think, is opening the dialogue and opening the channel. You know, if, it, if it becomes anecdotal and, they, and, and 
a provider just claims to their payer in a in a in a joint review, you know, you just seem to be denying all of all of my you know hip procedures. I don't understand this. They want to know. Well, show me exactly what and how, right? And so, so uh, one of the one of the things that I also talk with revenue cycle leaders about is how do you manage your data more effectively? It's not just the standard metrics of AR, bad debt, you know, denial rates, you know, different things like that, cash collection ratios. But what are we really looking at in terms of the fundamental information that clinical data combined with the rev cycle data can help us in our revenue cycle uh, performance? And that's a, that's a key area uh, strategically uh, going forward where I see a lot of organizations investing uh, and needing to invest uh, in terms of data analytics. Interest. I mean, really, really good perspective, Doug. I'm sitting here listening to you, and I, I'm trying to put myself in the seat of a revenue cycle leader, and I'm going, "Holy cow! Um, where do I start?" Uh, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, this thing is like, you know, it's like one bite at a time. But where, I mean, what's the first bite? How? What? What, what guidance would you give to revenue cycle leaders out there that are they know they need to move? They know that staying where they are today is going to continue to send them continuously behind or further behind competition. What what guidance do you give leaders out there that are that know they need to move? They just are paralyzed with what to do first. Well, you you're exactly right. It's huge. Uh, the 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 a number of problems, the variations of those. Uh, can be huge. So what I, what I tell folks uh, very often and have throughout my career, the first thing to do is to really take a good look at what's going on inside your own house. You've got to be able to, um, and, and again, that takes data, that takes analysis, that takes review. And that data and review is not just statistical. You need to look at your processes. You need to look at where are my people spending time? How are they spending time? How much time are they spending? Uh, when they do it? And what are the results that are getting? Uh, what are my performance metrics that I should have within my house? How do I know that my coders are productive? What, what data do I have and how am I monitoring cues, DNFB, various components around the operational component of middle revenue cycle? Uh, and, and am I efficient? Am I optimized? Am I using the tools that I have effectively? You know, there's, there's a lot of automation that's already in place. There's a lot of tools and technology, simple patient accounting systems. Yes. But then all the bolt on components as well. But are my, are, is my workforce really utilizing it in an effective way? Uh, the other thing to do, um, is to, is to take a look at, um, areas around payment integrity. Uh, am I collecting, uh, the maximums that I need? What, what happens to my zero balance portfolio? And zero balance, of course, is it looks like I've claimed everything I should, uh, collected, excuse me, uh, everything that I should. But, but in essence, if I go back and if I do an audit of those zero balance accounts, I very often can find, and we as in revenue cycle typically see this, errors that were made, collectors that um, incorrectly netted down an account in some way. Uh, and ultimately left some dollars on the table. So again, with data, with analytics, with review, with audit, uh, you can find some cash and you can find some performance opportunities. 
having a really good relationship with your managed care team that negotiates the contracts uh, is a critical component for a rev cycle leader. Being able to work and lock lock uh, lockstep basically with that organization, feeding them information about the challenges the rev cycle has for the contract negotiations that are upcoming, for the renewals that are coming, or for even the joint reviews that are ongoing and taking place in terms of trying to resolve disputes uh, is an important thing. And I always advise that that partnership uh, really be focused upon uh, to ensure that uh, everybody understands what the opportunities and what the challenges are. Those are amazing insights, Doug. And and I know those that are listening are going to just get a ton of nuggets to take away. And the most important thing is to get started. Uh, you know, it's that first step is is ultimately the hardest, but you got to start the journey somewhere. And so those are some excellent insights. Uh, let's pivot to just the overall topic of leadership. I know you're passionate about leadership. You've been in just a myriad of leadership roles throughout your career. Uh, talk to me a little bit about, you know, where you first got into leadership and what was it about being a leader that just stoked that desire to want to grow in that capacity? And, and, and um, what is it about being a leader that, that, that keeps you uh, motivated and, and excited to, to continue to share about your, your perspectives on leadership? Well, Ben, thanks for asking about this because you're right. Uh, very passionate. I love talking about this topic uh, with folks and it's been something that I've tried to focus the majority of my career upon, quite honestly. So to take it back, um, I was very lucky uh, in my career early on to be part of a consulting organization uh, that decided it was going to build a leadership development program, their own internal, that the best way for this company to expand itself, and we're talking 23 years ago, uh, was to build and develop internal leaders, not to just try and grab them from Accenture or EMY and so on and so forth. And uh, I was able to sit on a uh, steering committee. Uh, I got nominated because I had a, a great mentor uh, and manager that saw some potential in me. And that steering committee developed the leadership program. We got a chance to work with the great Warren Bennis in that regard. We had hired him. Uh, uh, to work and to advise and help us develop that. And he became uh, a tremendous influence. Uh, it was such a joy and an opportunity. Unfortunately, he's passed away a few years back now. But uh, back then, um, he was uh, central to leadership, leadership development. You know, I think he's published 20 books or so. So that kind of gave me my foundation and my core about uh, what are the components of leadership? What makes a good leader? How do you develop yourself uh, as, as a leader? Uh, and what I learned uh, across that uh, was some, some very interesting skills. Uh, one, of, one set of skills had to be uh, very internal. Uh, know yourself. Know who you are, how you feel, what's going on, you know, the emotional intelligence, basically, of self-awareness. And to be self-aware in the business environment, to be self-aware with your teams. Um, the other thing uh, that I learned was how to be aware of others and how to be aware of what their motivations were, how to listen very carefully to people, hear what they're saying, hear what they're trying to communicate. 
because the whole success factor around leadership is communication and listening. It really is. We want that bi-directionally, of course, you would think. But ultimately, being able to listen to your teams is a critical success factor. And, and then to take action with what you learn, with what you're able to do with that. Um, it's been a, a great journey for me. I love mentoring people. I love uh, I love helping people grow. And as a leader, I think really my responsibility and my role is to be in the background rather than the foreground, is to get my teams the opportunity to be exposed, to learn, to be successful, to come together, to help them, uh, to motivate them. Certainly, there's a lot of motivation that goes into leadership, but ultimately to allow them to succeed or fail, to learn and to develop and to become the great leaders that they aspire to be as well. And there's nothing more gratifying uh, to me personally than watching folks that I've been able to help uh, along the way become very successful. Yeah, that's excellent. I think that is the biggest reward is, is seeing others uh, succeed under your leadership and know that you had just a little piece in the, in that process. The other thing that's, really insightful here is that, you know, you hear the term, no, he's a natural born leader or she's a natural born leader. The point is leaders, the excellent ones have to get up every day and they have to work at it. And you, you kind of mentioned all the things along the way that you do. So to other leaders out there, um, you know, maybe you're not where you want to be yet, but you know, the reality is, is you can, you know, subscribe to this concept of, I want to be a great leader and there are so many things out there that can help you uh, to sharpen that skill and to become, you know, the leader that you want to be. So it sounds like you've invested heavily in yourself and that has certainly paid off and, and benefited you. Uh, but more importantly, because it's not about you and you recognize that it's about it's about all those you get the opportunity to serve. So that's that's really, really insightful. So uh, we're going to land every Every one of these shows kind of lands with uh, a lightning round. So you kind of have to put your seatbelt on and, and kind of go with it and kind of talk about briefly what comes to the top of your mind as, uh, as we go through the, these things. But, and maybe you've answered this one, but uh, who's, who's been the biggest influence on you uh, as a leader? If I go back to what we just talked about at the, at the core beginning, Warren Bennis being an influence uh, for sure, but also the CEO of that same consulting firm, uh, his name is Luther Nussbaum. And Luther had the vision and the strategy uh, to deploy around this. And I spent a lot of time with him as well. And he was a very strong influencer. That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, so when you're not, you know, giving um, advice to RevCycle leaders and leaders in general or sitting on a podcast with somebody like me and you have free time and you're, you're out uh, enjoying that. What, what, what do you gravitate towards? I actually have a music background. Uh, in early in my in my life, uh, I was a professional musician uh, and and trained in that regard. Uh, subsequently, obviously had a had a career in business. But music is always a passion uh, for me. I'm also a food nut. Uh, I love I love to cook. I fancy myself as an amateur chef. Uh, and, uh, what goes better with food than wine? I enjoy collecting wine. Uh, in fact, I actually studied, uh, to become a certified sommelier. That's awesome. It's interesting. You gravitate towards complex things though. 
um, <laughs> music, yeah. wine, food, mm-hmm. uh, all can be very complex, which so is your career. Revenue cycle is probably the most complex thing that, uh, that I've, you know, seen inside of, uh, the things that I have done. But so any, anything you, uh, gravitate towards when you're, when you're reading, is there a particular book or, uh, and maybe it's just for fun that, uh, you're reading right now. The most recent book that I read, um, was the leader's guide to unconscious bias. And, uh, it's written by Pamela Fuller, uh, Mark Murphy, all of us, as we've seen in the culture of the United States, uh, developing over these past few years, uh, need a, a much better awareness of our unconscious bias. This talks about how to tackle that. I mentioned that good leaders are self-aware, uh, and, and, you know, understanding their feelings and what they're thinking and being introspective as well as retrospective. Uh, and this book really focuses uh, on how do you do that? That's great. Um, certainly going to put uh, the book on my Amazon list. It'll be here in a couple of days. That's, uh, I can tell you blind spots are important as leaders uh, to recognize. And so very, very, very good insight. So one, one more. So you're kind of going down this, this topic any, anyway, but uh, if you're a, you know, a, young up and coming leader, what, what kind of general advice would you, would you give them as they're starting to embark? And, you know, in general, what are some other things that as you coach young emerging leaders, uh, kind of what insights would you give them? You know, what I'd mentioned before about uh, working on your self-awareness, working on your own emotional intelligence, understanding yourself, is an important journey. I think it's also important to tag a mentor. Uh, and, and I think the mentor, um, while very often um, you may think it's a manager or somebody that you're already working for, I would encourage you to look outside of that. And, and it can be outside of your organization. It can be come from a lot of different places. The other piece uh, is to, to make sure that you're talking to your teams. Uh, and, and if you're not in a regular dialogue in terms of getting to know your folks and getting to know the people that are that are on your teams, make sure that you're really applying that effort. Outstanding, Doug. That uh, I think that goes for not just young leaders but any leader. So those are very very mm-hmm. helpful insights. Yeah. And 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 with that, I just just want to say thank you. Uh, we really really appreciate one your time to your insights. It's really uh, refreshing to, to, to hear uh, you talk about not just revenue cycle and, and, you know, some insights on where we can take that space inside of the work we do. But then secondly, just the, the helpful insights for, for leaders in general, and particularly those young up and coming leaders, because we both know this, this industry is needs more and better, uh, leaders leaders and leadership development so with that i just want to thank you for joining leader to leader uh again welcome to our elite advisor program it's going to be awesome working with you in the you know days weeks and years to come so with that uh, i think it's a wrap but i really appreciate it thank you so much really enjoyed the conversation today uh look forward to uh more things that we can uh help the listeners with uh, Q&A that may come out of this or something else. Uh, happy to, to help and, and be part of that. But thanks for the opportunity. Great to see you today. 
I really enjoyed talking to Doug. He has a lot of wisdom to share about healthcare and revenue cycle management. Here are my top takeaways from today's session. One, healthcare organizations need to think holistically about revenue cycle management and how to incorporate that throughout the entire healthcare delivery process. Two, healthcare leaders should be open to rev cycle management outsourcing as a strategy to help alleviate workforce challenges and to help reductions in cost. Three, claims denials are a persistent issue. Organizations must continue to optimize workflows and implement automation tools to reduce denials and improve revenue cycle efficiency. Four, providers and payers must communicate and they have to find common ground to address the inherent challenges in the payment cycle. And five, leadership requires self-awareness and emotional intelligence. The best leaders listen to their teams and are open to constructive feedback. So what did you think? What were your big takeaways from today's episode? I'd love to hear from you on our social media channels or drop me an email on our website at healthcareitleaders.com. And until next time, I'm Ben Helmus. Thanks for joining us for Leader to Leader. To learn more about how to fuel your own personal leadership journey through the healthcare industry, visit healthcareitleaders.com. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any insights and we'll see you on the next episode.